This is 560 WFIL. Hey, thanks for checking in on this weekend magazine. We're rolling commercial free to the bottom of the hour. I'm Mark Daniels. Always wanted to do that. Ahead, June Hunt with a few words about holiday stress. Dr. J. Bruce Sophia discusses his brand new book concerning the cultural lie about love, lust, and sex. And it's not just Kevin Spacey and Al Franken and Matt Lauer who have allegedly taken the bait. But up first on our weekend magazine, Rick Schuler. He was on the team that discovered a 12th cave containing Dead Sea Scrolls last January on that plateau above the ancient village of Qumran. I visited the ruins there in the Judean desert back in 1997, and the many mikvot are still easy to see, evidence of the strict religious practices of the Essenes, a group of uh, pre-Christian zealots in Jesus' day. But you won't be hearing a dry archaeological dissertation when Rick and keynote speaker Dr. Randall Price headlined the upcoming Capstone Christmas event. Rick Schuler just happens to look and sound like the legendary singer-songwriter John Denver. So at this big party this coming Thursday, you'll enjoy breakthrough discoveries, an incredible meal and dessert, the smash hits of John Denver, and your favorite sing-along Christmas classics as well. All in one evening, all at the Union League in Philadelphia, December 14. Rick Schuler, thanks for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. Now, this sounds like a really fascinating evening coming up on December 14th at the Union League. The brilliant Dr. Randall Price, who's both a college professor and a museum curator, he was the director of excavations on the Qumran Plateau, which I visited back in 1998. That was the team that discovered the 12th Dead Sea Scroll Cave this past January. But wait, you were part of that team as well. Absolutely, yeah. We had been working on the Qumran Plateau for 10 years over seven dig seasons, and then we uh, started on the caves last January, and uh, the first cave that we worked on was cave, what was called Cave 53, and uh, basically uh, we found that it, uh, after a couple weeks of working, We'd, everybody had finished off, and we were cleaning out the area, and uh, a Bedouin uh, working with us, uh, Yusuf Tamara, had broken up this big boulder, and underneath that was hidden a little scroll that was uh, basically in a little juglet that was broken and exposed, and uh, basically called back Dr. Price and myself and, and our photographer and his wife, and we went back to work and uh, found uh, several more fragments. That is awesome. I have studied a little bit about the lifestyle and beliefs of the Essenes of Qumran and grateful for their diligence in preserving scripture and other writings as they did there. That day of discovery on your dig must have been amazing, Rick. Oh, it was incredible. I mean, uh, Dr. Panina Shore, uh, who is uh, one of the, uh, the, she's the person that uh, is the curator in the scrolls, was very excited and Dr. Price has a wonderful interview that he can share, a uh, brief interview that he's going to share uh, as part of his presentation. And, uh, I mean, his presentation is going to be just amazing. We did the Vail Symposium where Dr. Price gave a lecture on that and had everybody, uh, including me, uh, on the edge of our seats. Uh, we, we actually had... Uh, sold it out, and uh, we had to turn people away because of the fire code. <laughs> wow. The Dead Sea Scrolls are rock stars. Oh, they are indeed. I did get a chance to see some of the fragments several times as I visited the 
Israel National Museum there in Israel. So you'll be there on the 14th to discuss this impressive find, but you're there in the dual role of entertainer as well. So how did you discover the talent that has become the Rocky Mountain experience? <laughs> well, it's, it's interesting. Uh, when I was a kid, uh, I, uh, my eyesight was terrible, and uh, my mom finally took me to get glasses. And uh, as soon as I put glasses on, I was a towhead, you know, uh, mm-hmm. people saw me and like, hey, you look like John Denver, you know, I'm like, who's John Denver? <laughs> <laughs> and I, he, he was only the biggest star in the world, and I didn't know who he was. Mm. And uh, it turned out that uh, when I heard of, uh, I, I went and got the uh, Rocky Mountain High album, and I, I listened to it, and I tried to sing to it, because I was just discovering that I had a voice, uh, my vocal teacher uh, lined up all the kids and had me do the do re mi, and she said, "Do that again." Hmm. And she said, "You got a beautiful voice," and that's the first time I'd ever heard that. And and so when I started singing to Rocky Mountain High uh, the song, I thought, "Gosh, John and I sound kind of similar," you know. And I just thought it was me thinking that I didn't know. And then, um, but as more uh, as I got exposed more to John's music, and he was on the. Now, all of a sudden, you know, John was everywhere. You saw him on television. You saw him on. The, you heard him on the radio, and and his music was so beautiful. And uh, and uh, really, as a sensitive kid, I really was uh, attracted to that music. While everybody was banging their heads to Led Zeppelin, yeah. I was listening to John Denver. All right. So, give us an idea of what your tribute to John Denver that night will include. Well, basically, we're going to do. Uh, we're going to do some of the great hits of John. We're also going to do some Christmas songs and singing together, and we're also going to quote a few poems. Um, basically, the idea is to discover, you know, what it is about the Dead Sea Scrolls and why John Denver's music has anything to do with that, which is fascinating, <laughs> because C.S. Lewis ties it all together with this discussion on the dialectic of desire, which is really uh, this longing that we have for nostalgia to be reconnected with something that we feel disconnected from. And in these themes of, of home, love, and nature, or nostalgia, these things that are, we have these longings, and Lewis says that when we have a longing for something that this world cannot satisfy, that means we're made for another world, and that this is imprinted on us. And so we, so, and he goes into some of this, and it's really hard, you can't, I can't really go into it too, too deeply, sure. so... The music really kind of makes the point when you're singing about home. Hey, it's good to be back home mm-hmm. again, you know. Or the the uh, I hear her voice in the morning hour when she calls me. The radio reminds me of my home far away. You know, these country roads are leading me home. They're taking me home. And you know, and John talks about nature, which is so beautiful that you have um, you know his side is turned inside himself to try and understand the serenity of a clear blue mountain lake in the song Rocky Mountain High. Mm-hmm. People sing these songs with gusto, and, they, and, they, they, and there's something really powerful in, um, in group singing, which is really beautiful. Well, it should be an amazing evening, and we admire and appreciate the incredible work that's accomplished by the Capstone Legacy Foundation all year long. 
We know that continuing that work is what this evening is all about. So it's dinner, song, and an adventure with Dr. Randall Price and our guest Rick Schuler at the Capstone Legacy Foundation's Capstone Christmas Celebration, Thursday, December 14, 6.30 p.m. at the Union League in Philadelphia. For more info and to get your tickets, log on capstonechristmas.com, capstonechristmas.com. It should be an incredible evening, and Rick, thanks for being such an integral part. Well, thank you so much, Mark, and we're looking forward to a wonderful evening. My band are awesome. It's going to be a wonderful evening of esprit de corps singing. This is the Mark Daniels Show on WFIL. And up next on our weekend magazine, J. Bruce Sophia, the pastor of Gloucester County Community Church, is out with a new book in his Hijacked Life series. And this one addresses the world's twisted perspective on love, lust, and lies a worldview rarely challenged by the church even now, as politics and the entertainment culture are being rocked by sexual scandal. You can save on your purchase of this book using the promo code WFIL when you check out at hijackedlife.com. Hijackedlife.com. Dr. Sophia, it's been too long. Welcome back to the show. Thank you. Well, as I figured would be the case, the next installment of the Hijack Life series is another topic we generally don't talk about much at church, if at all, a biblical perspective on relationships and sex. Now, are Christians, do you think, paralyzed by the fear of political correctness and don't want to say anything? Or maybe uh, we've bought into the cultural norms. We don't even consider talking about true love and lasting relationships anymore. Well, probably both of those points, Mark, to be honest. It was interesting. I was thinking about um, what's he going to ask me. He's going to say, why did you write these books, and how come the subjects are always controversial? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I have to tell you, I was thinking about it this morning, and I'm saying, I don't know that they're controversial. They're relative to the age in which we live, and sadly, as you well mentioned in your question, The church runs from them rather than um, tackles them. And so consequently, the church opens up this void for the world to give them the answers, you know, to fill in the blank. And then we do live in a completely confused, uh, not only in the world, but in the church culture that has accepted the world norm. You are absolutely right. In the book, you call it The Lie. Just exactly what is The Lie, and uh, how have we bought into it? Well, initially, the title of the book was called Fornication, The Hmm. Lie That Drives Our Times. So I I gave this book to our senior high and college and career, and they used it as curriculum. They read through it. In fact, they're the ones that have designed the 15 questions in, in, the, in the back of the book, there's 15 questions uh, at the close, and they're the ones put the, those questions together. And nobody knew what the word fornication meant. So uh, they literally renamed the book Love, Lust, and Lies, uh, which was a great title. Uh, there's just a thousand books out there by that title, if not more. Um, but they didn't have a clue what the word fornication meant. So we, we live in this culture that has bought the lie because it's painted to us everywhere we, we turn. I mean, you watch television, you know, a couple meets, what's the first thing they do? 
Mm. They go to bed together. Yeah. Uh, you go to the movies. Uh, you, know, uh, you know, years ago, and I'm, I'm going to really date myself. I was just a kid, a real young kid, Mark. Uh, but really, you know, you watch television and, and husbands and wife, wives didn't even sleep in the same bed. Oh, yeah. Um, and they were married before you uh, went to bed. And it was a cultural thing that although we knew people slept together, that was not accepted as not norm, but correct. Uh, we understood there were two norms, but we would say, you know, that, and, and even Hollywood themselves you know, they got a divorce, they would try and keep it quiet. If they were uh, homosexual in their persuasion, they wouldn't let anybody know because there were norms set by the culture that had been uh, established by the church. And that's no longer the case. The church doesn't set the norm. So the world sets the norm, and the church doesn't know what it is. I want to read you this. I got a note from Craig Smith. I don't know if you're familiar with Craig, Craig Smith. He's out of California. Mm-hmm. He wrote uh, the album called The Shepherd, uh, Gentle Shepherd, just amazing songwriter. He wrote this. He says, greetings, Bruce. Thank you for the copy of your new book. Thanks for tackling an ancient issue, which is hitting our current culture hard and leaving so many injured, confused, and bound, not to mention the collateral damage to so many innocent little ones. Thanks for not pulling any punches, but pointing the way out of the dark forest as well. I have already told others about your book as a tool. I think that's a pretty good summary. In the book, you say that love is a sacramental relationship and lust is a non-sacramental relationship. What do you mean by that? And how else can we discern between the two, sacramental, non-sacramental, love and lust? Okay, let's talk about the word sacramental, because I would suspect that many in our present age, church age, don't understand that word unless you're Roman Catholic or come from some sort of a high church background. Um, but a sacrament is when God is present. That, that's what a sacrament is. Hmm. So if sex is in the boundary of um, God's parameters, then it becomes sacramental because he has placed his presence and blessing upon it. If sex takes place outside of marriage, then it, it, is, it is driven by lust, which is the lie. And that's why the book's called Love, Lust, and Lies, because it contrasts love and lust, and then the, 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 the driving force behind what we believe uh, and what we accept is whether or not we believe the lie. You know, the lie is, you know, we walk through this lie throughout the whole book. There's the lie of physical attraction. You see somebody, you're attracted to them. You've already formed the fact that you love them or whatever. You don't have a clue who they are. You don't know if you're going to love them or not. You don't know what's inside of that book. You know, you've only seen the cover. So we talk about the lie of physical attraction. We talk about the lie of, of sex itself. You know, we, we often say this is a powerful pocket-sized book about sex, when it tells the truth and when it lies. And if it's outside of scriptural boundaries, it's lying to you, because sex, it patches for a moment or two, it covers up who the, because it's driven by the physical, it's driven by the emotional, and so people really don't have a clue. And that's the first illustration in the book, 
is, you know, seven years later, this marriage that had been built or this relationship that had built upon sex eventually entered into marriage and then dissolves is because they didn't have a clue who they were. And seven years later, three children later, they're going, I don't like you, you know, because the whole thing was built incorrectly. You know, our culture is uh, doing everything they can to force uh, what's natural to the lady and what's natural to the man and say, that's really not a lie. I mean, that's really a lie. But God has created the woman to be relational. Um, that's why we as men can compartmentalize, um, because that's the nature of, of who we are, if, if you know what I mean. So it's like a mother. Uh, a mother's never going to... Um, disassociate herself or uh, say, you know, that's not my son or not my daughter, no matter where that son or daughter goes, because a relationship was built, you know, at conception, carried in the womb. That's the nature of a mother. That's the balance in a husband and wife relationship. A father can compartmentalize and say, you know, hey, you know, I, I raised that kid right. He's on his own. That's just the way we are, are made. And I think the same is true of, of women. They, in more cases than not, though, again, we live in a culture where if you've had a few drinks and, you know, you can say to yourself, oh, I can have sex and there's nothing to it. Um, you know, that's just a part of my relationship with him or her or whomever. But the result is that God didn't create us that way. And although we may lie to ourselves and tell us, that um, we can have multiple sexual partners, and that's okay. The damage done internally is um, beyond recognition, because that's not the way God made us. The book is entitled Love, Lust, and Lies. It's the latest in the uh, Hijacked Life series. So where do we find the book? Oh, wait, Christine, <laughs> she's the executive assistant to Hijack Life. She handed me this little piece of paper to let people know that if they uh, go on our website, hijacklife.com, hmm. um, and type in the word WFIL, they'll get 20% off the book today. And it is our Mark Daniels Show Weekend Magazine, where the last word this time belongs to June Hunt. She's host of Hope for the Heart, weekdays at 6 p.m. on WFIL, and hope in the night, Tuesday through Saturday at midnight. June's recent Bible study and biblical keys on handling stress are available in the Resource Center right now at hopefortheheart.org. That's hopefortheheart.org. Go to the online store and search the keyword stress. Certainly at many different levels, everyone is dealing with stress, especially at this time of year. I mean, the holiday season is upon us. How can we manage the unique stressors of the holidays, including, for a lot of people, depression? Hmm. Well, first of all, it does seem that those holidays are regular times. They do come around every single year. Hmm. And so sometimes our problem is we haven't taken the time to prepare and I'm, I'm saying there can be different times of, of uh, trials during the, the holidays. Some people have challenging relatives, <laughs> and they're going to be seeing people where they already know it's not 
the the hallmark feeling of home for the holidays. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh no, I'm going to be having to deal with this. Well, if you know that, then you can plan specific ways that you're going to respond so that you you don't get trapped in negative communication. You make make your mind up if somebody's an agitator and uh, wants especially wants to ad- agitate you. You just literally are going to say to yourself, you know, I don't have to react. Lord, teach me to act rather than react. Mm-hmm. And the act may be, you know, if somebody is uh, difficult, then you, you can excuse yourself. You could uh, literally choose to not engage in negative talk. So sometimes those stressors are people. Uh, a different kind of a stressor could be pain, the pain of loss, where normally there would be a loved one, an endeared person, where a seat would normally, a, a place would be made at the the dinner table, and that that seat is going to be empty. And you can plan ahead, because... The statistics are consistent. One out of one people die. So everything will not always be the same. Um, and some of the grief and stress that people have is, well, I, I've always, I, you know, I, I hate that things are changed. But life is a series of changes. And likewise, life is a series of choices. So one thing that we could do is, have at the at the dinner table or at a t- particular time just say we're going to have a time where we're going to honor um our mother who is now with the lord and and we're just going to go through the things that were so significant to us and individually in her life so you plan ahead uh what what you're going to do that honors if it's your father, if it's a sibling, a child, what was what brought you joy? And then it may be that there could be mementos that already or something special that that loved one loved. And so you, you don't avoid it because that's where a lot of times stress is, is. I don't want to get anybody upset. I don't want anyone to start crying or, you know, I don't want to make somebody cry. Well, you know, God made, made us with tear ducts, so he intends us to use them. And they're they're like uh, windshield wipers. They help literally clear clear the, the window. Well, there are a lot more of these sources of stress we could get to, but the time is indeed our enemy. Uh, it's available, though, in a um, Bible study you've done on the subject of stress. What are some of the other things we might learn through that Bible study? Uh, well, we all have stress, but and, and stress actually can be positive because what it does is it moves us to action. Um, the closer you get to a, a certain date, it, it, it'll move you to action. And th- think about it when you were doing a, a final exam. Uh, did you give more attention during that time, Mark, when there was a final exam on a test? My life is uh, is like a constant final exam. I, I use that as a motivator. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, and it is a motivator. That's the point. But... If there is 
too much delay, then it becomes distress. So don't think of stress as a negative. Think of it initially, you know, because we, in other words, if if you have no due date for supposedly learning material, most people then they're not going to take the time to start studying. But then when you see those times when there's there's going to be a, a test in school, you focus in. So view it that God will use your stress in life to bless your life. God uses your stress in life to bless your life, to motivate you to action. Stress is not always negative, and even though it's usually presented that way, but it really helps us. In fact, it's kind of like a wrong belief. My life is out of control. I feel helpless to cope with all this stress in my life. But what I would present is, and we have this in our material, God allows this stress in my life to bless my life. Even when I know I'm weak, Christ in me is strong. And I'll be grateful for the pressure in life that will press me closer to him and cause me to allow Christ to be my strength. Well, to our listeners, this uh, Bible study on stress is available again at that website, hopefortheheart.org. And uh, June is available here with Hope for the Heart, weeknights at 6 o'clock and Hope in the Night, Tuesday through Saturday at midnight, live here on WFIL. Get your questions answered. Thanks for answering mine too, June. And if we don't talk before, have a very Merry Christmas. And to you, my friend. Thank you so much, Mark. Well, here's to hoping your holiday stress is minimal. Thanks for listening in. I'm Mark Daniels, and we're right back in just a moment. 